Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Christmas in Ukraine with Zarina Zabriski, who's been keeping us updated throughout a tumultuous year. Before that, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times and the Byline Times podcast don't have any millionaire backer. We don't represent any corporate interest. We are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. In case you don't know what that is, well, that is our brilliant monthly newspaper, and it features content that you can't read anywhere else. We rely, as I say, on ordinary readers and listeners like you to support our fearless, non-partisan journalism, exposing corruption and holding the powerful to account. You get details about how to subscribe over at our news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. A subscription costs from as little as £3 a month, and if you have already got one, well, why not gift another subscription to a friend? It is Christmas after all. Head over, as I say to bylinetimes.com. Let's welcome then Zarina Zabriskie one more time for 2022. And Zarina, it's great to speak to you. I'm never quite sure of the circumstances in which I'm going to find you, given the current literal cold war that Putin is waging on Ukraine at the moment. So tell us as best you can where you are and, and what kind of circumstances you're in. Hi, Adrian, and happy to speak to you right before the holidays. Thank you for having me. I hope everybody is enjoying holiday seasons, whatever you're celebrating. And Ukraine is also celebrating, even though there are forces that do everything and anything they can to prevent Ukraine from feeling festive. So here in Odessa, where I am today, and in Kiev, where I was yesterday, despite darkness that enveloped the cities after dark, which is pretty much after 4.30 or 5 p.m., you can still see generator-run cafes or restaurants, or some blocks will get electricity because as soon as the communal services manage to fix where is being destroyed, by the Russians, light, the power, the heat start coming back to the cities, but there's not enough to supply everyone. So it's rotating. So let's say my block in Odessa right now doesn't have it. So I'm sitting in a dark room. It's really cold. So I have a lot of blankets on top, but I'm already kind of used to it. People got their own systems. It is unpleasant, but it's the least of the inconveniences compared to, say, the army and the soldiers in the trenches. That's what we always think about. That's much more inconvenient. So back to the festive atmosphere, whenever there is a light, whether it's generator run or regular city light coming back, you'd see a lot of decorations. You see Christmas trees. Yesterday in Kiev, I saw St. Nicholas and two angels walking down Khrushchev, the main street, giving presents to kids. It was very, very moving because the kid was actually wearing a jacket with the special uh, like patterns on it that are luminescent. So at night, the cars can see you. A lot of people are doing that now. And just today in Odessa, I saw a little doggy 
with like a disco band around its neck, like a collar, so people could see it in the dark. And the other day, Hanukkah menorah was being lit here in Odessa and in Kiev and all around Ukraine. I see the reports. I recently I've been to Mikolaev and they were already preparing for Christmas. There were Father Frost, Santa Clauses. However, one should note here that the Orthodox Christmas is not on the 25th of December. It is on the 7th of January. I'm not a very religious person, but I'm pretty sure it's from the 6th or the 7th. But in Ukraine, people love all kinds of holidays. There were even some things going on for Halloween. So people would celebrate, if they can, the Catholic Christmas as well. So the date of the 6th or 7th of January, that's dictated by the Orthodox Church. But as you say, the traditional Western Christmas as we would know it here is also celebrated and Hanukkah as well. And you posted pictures on your Twitter account at Zarina Zabriskie of people spontaneously dancing at a railway station as well. I mean, I guess there's a, a kind of war fever a little bit, isn't there? People are aware of the jeopardy and kind of a heightened sense of the threat they face, the danger they're in, and a desire to do whatever they can to fight back against that and show resistance to each other? I don't know. I don't really think that's the case. I think they're just genuinely that dancey and they love music. Music is everywhere. And it was like this before the war and it just didn't go away during the war. And so, of course, there is a certain feeling and sense of unity and resistance. But I assure you that you know, if you watch this video, there are like little babushkas, old ladies and little kids dancing. It's just the sheer enjoyment of it. And speaking of holidays, the main holiday here is the New Year's. It's not very big or not as big in the West compared to the Christmas. But here, traditionally, because in the Soviet Union there was no religion, Christmas was an empty sound. It just didn't exist. And so the main holiday of the year in all the former states of the Soviet Union, including Ukraine, was the New Year's. And that's why you get the Christmas tree. And that's when the main celebration is. So yesterday, it was a combination of installing the New Year's tree, the Christmas tree, and St. Nicholas, which is, you know, fairly new holiday, but nevertheless joyous. And I didn't expect to see that. I was just there to catch my train. And it was a very, very crowded hallway. And suddenly I hear this loud music and I see the Christmas tree. And later I realized that this big orange thing I saw was a generator hooked up to an exercise bicycle. Because there are power outages after all the attacks that were had here, like missile and drones, and the critical infrastructure is shut down. It's like at the moment, it's about 50% capacity. So it's really, really dark downtown Kiev and everywhere else. And I was surprised to see such a brightly lit Christmas tree. And then I read that there was an exercise bike and that big orange thing that I didn't register was a generator. So the passengers, the travelers would sit on the exercise bike and generate some light so everybody can enjoy it. <laughs> That's to keep the lights on in the railway station. 
on the tree, on the tree. In fairness, the rest of the station was somewhat lit, somewhat through a generator, and some passages were fairly dark, but that particular area was very bright. And Zarina, you've made the very fair point that the soldiers in the trenches will be bitterly cold at the moment. But talk to me about the civilian population. Here in the UK, a few days ago, we had temperatures down to minus eight. And by our standards, that is extremely cold. And of course, we don't have the attacks on our energy infrastructure, or at least not the direct attacks on our energy infrastructure by Putin's troops. So we know that in Ukraine, a lot of the lighting has gone out, a lot of the heating has gone out. How are ordinary people managing? Is there any heat? How cold is it? And what do they do in the meantime? I mean, it's cold. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm living it. It sucks because let's say today I arrived from Kiev where yesterday I attended a very interesting press conference at the office of the president of Ukraine. So a couple of words about it later. But I arrive on the train at six in the morning. It's really, really dark. It's about minus seven or minus eight. And in Kiev, the streets were ice clad and the snow piles were really big, but not in Odessa. We, we don't get that much snow, just a little bit of ice over the puddles. And so I walk back to my apartment and it's as dark as it is outside and it is as cold as it's outside. And I see steam coming out of my mouth so I can't take a hot shower after the train and stuff. And what's worse, I can't work because my computer is not charged anymore. I worked yesterday. So I have to wait for the cafes to open because... When the cafes are run on the generator, they won't let you use the electricity. So I have to find the cafe that has the electricity uh, at the moment, which takes a while. And then at any moment, the light there can go off and we still don't have the schedule. We have a tentative schedule, but it's not working yet. So nothing is really set. Like later there was light, so I rushed back home. And I had to do laundry, you know, like everybody's starting to work on it really fast. Like anything that you need to do, like boil some water or run your washing machine or simply heat the premises, which I do by turning on my air conditioner at warm and the electric radiators. So I have to do it all very quickly and charge my computer so I can work for a while. Uh, people adjust, you know, there's certain ways of, say, to keep the internet going, but they don't always work. Like, for instance, I have a power bank that my editors from Euromaidan Press sent to all the team members, but it only works for a certain amount of hours. And after one outage for 24 hours, the battery is completely down and it will take many hours to recharge. So as a result, even when we have the light back on, I still don't get the internet. It's a trap. Yeah, tough times. And you've obviously gone to Odessa, where I know you've got family heritage and family roots in that part of Ukraine. And having grown up in St. Petersburg, you've lived for a lot of your life in the United States. That's where, prior to this invasion, you called home. How have these last few months going back to the, the place of your ancestors been for you personally, Zarina? 
Well, thank you for remembering my personal history, Edwin. And you might recall, I also mentioned it a few times, I used to come here as a child in summers. So it was very familiar and warm world for me to get back to. And it's an enchanted world. If you fall in love with Odessa, you fall in love. In fact, just about an hour ago, I went down to the store around the corner and there was a lady there trying to weigh a pair and the machine wasn't working. And I heard her speaking English to herself. And it's a British woman. So we started a little chat and I asked her if she was a journalist or a volunteer, because usually you run into a foreigner and it's either journalist or, or volunteer and she said no i just live here i came here two years ago and i fell in love and i didn't want to leave you meet people like this all the time odessa is like home away from home it's very comfortable well not right now it's hard for any place to be comfortable when it's cold and dark but even so it's easier to live here in many respects than, say, in San Francisco, that's for sure. I can walk anywhere I want. I don't have to drive, which is nice. And the sea is quite close and the sea is warm, unlike the ocean back home in San Francisco. And there's so much going on culturally. Uh, the other day on Sunday, my friend and I went to Le Bayadere, a ballet at the Opera Theater. It was just fantastic. I loved it. There was so much fire on stage that they kept us warm. And as I talk to you, I keep getting messages from social media chat where to go in Odessa for the holiday season. And there are plenty of stand-up comedy gigs and theater. The drama theater is back. I've been invited to like five exhibitions over the weekend. And the cafes and the food, and I'm not even a foodie, just between us and everybody else who's listening. I had difficult relationship with food. I used to be an anorexic. I'm not big on food, but here I'm actually into food. It's so good and all organic and tastes delicious and looks beautiful. So, yeah, a lot to be enjoyed here. Ukrainians have shown themselves to be incredibly resilient, both as a civilian population and as a military. And by now, Putin, I think, expected to have gained control of the country. Clearly, that hasn't happened. Do people in Ukraine now expect this to be a long, drawn-out war of attrition? Well, I guess nobody wants to believe that, that there are analysts who think that might be a possibility and there are as many predictions there are analysts and I think as in all fairness nobody really knows what it's going to be like and there are certain things that we might know and I want to mention that those who follow the news might see the continuous messages and updates that Putin is conglomerating and amassing the weapons and the troops at the Belarusian border. And I see it's like all the deja vu. Don't you remember what was happening exactly around this time last year? Everybody was saying exactly the same. Oh, look, Putin is amassing troops and weapons at the border with Ukraine. But of course, he won't do anything. And there were multiple reasons why he won't. And I was one of the few people who said, no, yes, he will. And then he did. So I want to just say here, without any clairvoyant instances, that he might very well use it. 
we might be looking at the next stage where the territory of Belarus would be used as another front. So let's not be surprised when it happens. And that, of course, would be terrible for Ukraine, even though, like you said, the army is really well-trained and very well-motivated, which is very important in military business. The motivation and morale mean a lot. But the numbers are scary, and I'm really not looking forward to it. Yesterday was a meeting between Lukashenko and Putin in Minsk. And what's interesting is that for the first time in a long time, in a few years, that Putin flew to meet Lukashenko, not the other way around. Usually these kind of things, they're indicative of the whole narrative. So it looks like Putin is in the position to, not to plead, but to be asking Lukashenko. And Lukashenko is now kind of thinking about it. But I don't think that Lukashenko really can afford it because without the Russian support, he would lose his position. And it doesn't look like he's ready for it. Indeed not. In fact, on the Byline Times podcast a couple of years ago, we covered the anti-government protests in Belarus. Lukashenko's grip on power at that point looked very shaky indeed. He did survive in 2020, but there's no guarantee that he would survive further public protests. And I've seen one survey suggesting that only 11% of Belarusians support any action to back Russia in the invasion of Ukraine. So, as you say, we've seen this before from Putin. He may be able to get Belarus on side, but there's no guarantee that if he did so, it would go the way that he wanted, and there's no guarantee that he wouldn't provoke a backlash against Lukashenko. No, and I uh, heard somebody mention today Lukashenko and Belarus would be joining an unsuccessful war, and it's entirely different from whether it would have been a successful operation. So it wouldn't be very popular one way or another. And uh, speaking of other countries being involved, there are also talks about Putin trying to get Transnistria, which is a part of Moldova. It's an recognized Russian proxy state right at the border of Ukraine, actually very close to me here in Odessa. And there are some very insignificant number of troops there, like about 1,500, plus there are some illegal aliens. But altogether, it is not a serious army. And for Ukraine, it would be easy. And I saw some prediction that it would take anywhere from two weeks to a month to defeat this army. But what it will do, just like as Belarus will do, it will pull the contingent and the troops away from the hotspots, like in Bakhmut, where really intense fighting is going on now. And it's a known military maneuver. Ukrainians did that in Kherson, where everybody was talking about Kherson, and the Russians pulled their troops to the southern front, and then the Ukrainians did run their counterattack in the east and liberated the Kharkov Oblast. So the Russians at this moment might be following the pattern. But here, if it's okay, I want to mention something really interesting that I've heard yesterday at the press conference at the office of the president. The conference was dedicated to the special tribunal that Ukraine is looking into uh, running and starting to do the investigation now. 
Basically, in a nutshell, the Ukrainian government wants to investigate the crime of aggression, which is known generally as the mother of all crimes. And as we know, in Nuremberg trials, this was the major offense. So here, a lot of people are asking, can you do that before the hard stage of war is over? And how, in practice, are you going to pursue it, even if you are able to go with the legal part and with the trial? How are you going to get to Putin and his cronies? And while it might not be physically possible at this point, there are many interesting options there. And it was a very interesting discussion, and I'm going to be writing about it for Byline Times, and I'm going to be sharing a video. But one of the gentlemen there who is joining the team, his name is Priest Patrick Dubois. He's a French Catholic priest, and he has been working on the Holocaust history, finding the mass graves in Eastern Europe, including Ukraine, for decades. So now he is joining this team. And he said yesterday that us journalists have a special responsibility to make sure that we present the current situation correctly. Because currently, if you look at the news in the US or in the UK or in France, anywhere in Europe, you hear mostly the army updates, the military updates, the number of drones and missiles that were used by the Russian Federation military to hit the energy infrastructure in Ukraine, or counteroffensive in Bakhmut, the number of tanks and so forth. But the segment or the element that is missing right now is the war of terror strategy that the FSB, the secret services of Russia, is applying and using in Ukraine, that is very important because these are crimes against humanity. And we are not talking about the fair war of two armies or a fair conflict in which two parties can decide on some territorial border. We are looking at the situation which is similar to World War II. We're looking at genocide. And it is up to us, to journalists, to keep presenting the crimes that keep going. It wasn't just Bucha. It wasn't just Pin. And I am here to attest to it. I witnessed all the atrocities that were just discovered in the oblast in the Kherson region. And as we speak, now that the holiday is approaching, the Russians are bombarding downtown of Kherson. I was just talking to my friends there, and they are being shelled every 20 minutes. Terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And one final thing to mention as well, Zarina, that we haven't really discussed previously, but the Russian forces are backed up by these so-called Wagner or Wagner mercenaries, this mercenary force that has been gathered up, in part anyway, from Russia's prisons, convicts who effectively are being press-ganged into taking part in the war in return for their, in inverted commas, freedom. But in some cases, I've read accounts of these mercenaries being summarily executed if they don't want to fight. But 
that can't be an effective force against a military as well-trained and well-motivated as Ukraine's. Well, it can't, and yet it can, because these people are brutal and they have nothing to lose other than their lives. And if anybody's interested, like a couple of weeks ago, I ran a long, detailed profile on Prigozhin, and there's one that is less organized with, with a lot more details and photographs of all the Nazis, by the way, that serve in Wagner, the uh, private company. In fact, the name Wagner is after the composer Wagner. It's not because the, the person who had that nickname and that code name was into classical music, but that's because the Nazis had the predilection for Wagner. So look it up if you're interested or if you've heard something about the uh, so-called Ukrainian Nazis who are currently lighting up Hanukkahs all around Ukraine. So if to see some details, you can find some interesting ones in these articles on Euromaidan Press. And of course, there are a lot of other profiles, not just mine, but basically what you find there that Prigozhin is a convicted criminal. He served at least a couple of terms for petty crimes and for some more serious crimes. He, he's brutal. He's from St. Petersburg from the 90s. At the time that we've discussed a lot on your show, Adrian, yeah. uh, when bodies were just in the streets. And these are the same bandits, that's the same gang. Putin is one of them. This gang is ruling Russia, and they are now trying to rule the world. But we have Ukraine standing in the way, and we have the world helping Ukraine. So let's not finish on a gloomy note, because we are in Ukraine, and we believe that everything will be Ukraine, everything will be good, uh, and that there will be victory. Most of the times, the air defense shoots down the drones and the missiles, like 80 to 90 percent. And just overall, it's a holiday season, and there are miracles that could be happening, and we want to believe in them. Can I have a Christmas wish? As you might have heard, I quite recently started a YouTube channel with my Ukrainian colleagues. It's called EBT News. It's rather new and we have some really interesting footage there. I just wanted to invite everyone to visit and to maybe subscribe and give it a like. Absolutely. If they haven't done so already, then they must. Serena, thank you. And if they want to read your work, the easiest, shortest route to it is to follow at Zarina Zabriskie at Twitter, and they'll see all of your reports there, those television reports you're talking about, Euromaidan press links as well, and of course, the links to your articles at Byline Times. Thank you so much. We wish you all a safe and a happy holiday, and our hearts go out to all those resisting Putin's aggression in Ukraine. Thank you to Zarina Zabriskie and we'll catch up again with Zarina early in 2023. Thank you very much indeed for listening. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast. Thank you, by the way, to Harvey White and a Merry Christmas to him as well for helping out with the Byline Times podcast throughout the last 12 months. And don't forget, you can support our work by taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. Just head to bylinetimes.com for details of how to subscribe. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you now and goodbye. Cheers. <laughs>